gospel reading is John 15, 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Let's pray. Fathers, we come to your word this morning. We thank you for it. Um, We thank you really for the miracle this morning that we have the very words of Jesus recorded for us, that we get to enter into this room with these disciples and listen to Jesus as he instructs them and trains them and encourages them. And Father, we thank you that these words are, are not only meant for them, but they are meant for us this morning, that they've been preserved for us. And I thank you for every single person that you have brought into this room this morning to hear your word. And we know that um, every single person is, is precious to you. And we're all in different places. And some of us are here believing and some of us are here asking questions. Some of us are here frustrated or depressed. And Father, to each one of us, may your spirit come and minister to us through your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, I heard a a story from a pastor that he was, at the time, he was a minister in New York, and he's no longer there, but the church he was working at was working in connection, it was supporting a ministry that was an addiction recovery ministry, much like um, some of the ministries we support here, and he had gone to one of their annual kind of banquets that they would hold, and, you know, a fundraising banquet, and so they would have different folks from that, who had gone through that program share and come up and share stories about um, what, how they had changed and how they had grown and how Jesus had affected their life while they were in this program. And as he's listening to these, you know, he was really, you know, 
tearing up and, and moved by many of their stories and amazed again at what Jesus can do. And then this one guy comes and takes the stage and he's sort of an imposing figure, a really big dude. He's a kind of a classic New Yorker sort of look. And as he starts talking, um, he basically starts describing what his life has been like. And he was spent many, many years as a hitman for the mob. And so his life had been full of, of violence, but it had also been full of, obviously, um, substance abuse, which brought him to this program. And when he came into this program, he became a believer, and he started to follow Jesus. And he'd only been in the program about a year, but he's telling his story, and he wanted to illustrate how he had changed over this last year, how Jesus had changed him. And he told this story. He said that um, one day he was riding on the subway, and he was wearing his mink coat. Yeah, you can, so just picture that. So this former hitman of the mobs in the subway, he's in his mink coat, and he said these two punks come in, and they start messing with him, and they pull knives on him, and they say, give me your coat. And he said he pulled out his pistol, and he shot them both in the leg. And he said a year ago, before I knew Jesus, I would have shot them both in the head. And... Um, you know, I would have loved to have seen the reaction from the crowd, but as I, like, listen to this story and this pastor who was talking about it, like, I, I've never been a hitman for the mob. I don't even own a gun, but I can relate to this guy. Because on the, on the, on the inside, he's thinking, look how different I am. And look how much I've changed. And everyone in the crowd is saying, you just shot two people, right? <laughs> what, what's, and, and I look at my own life and I think, man, I'm not who I once was. But there's a lot of people I know who look at me and go, really? You're still, you're still doing that? Or you still act that way? Or you still respond to people um, with anger or frustration? Or you're not really that self-controlled? And I know that as I talk to many of you and we think about what it looks like for us as Christians to, to grow, um, what it looks like for us to, to be conformed to the image of Jesus, it's frustrating. And, and oftentimes it seems incredibly slow. And it's no news to you that we live in a culture where it's almost anything that we want, we can get instantaneously. That we can, we can pull out a phone and I can order some, I mean, Amazon's getting faster and faster, right? I mean, pretty soon it's like a drone is going to fly to my doorstep. Anything I want, I can... I can have it almost when I, when I want it, but when it comes to actually growing and changing and looking more like Jesus and finding more joy and finding more peace, what we find is that it doesn't come that quickly, that often it takes a really long time. And in this passage, as we've been working through John's gospel and as we talked about last week, these, this pass, these you know, 14 through 17 are some of the most, be I mean, beautiful passages in the Gospels. Like, I, I would urge you just, like, to meditate, go and read them and meditate on them, that we get brought into this room with Jesus and his disciples. You know, in a couple weeks, we're going to nominate officers for our church. I mean, I think that the timing of this was not my timing. I think it's God's timing because what Jesus is doing in this room is he's training, he's training these people to go out into the world 
and to build his church and to build his kingdom. And what we would think that would look like is sort of like blueprints laid on a table and like here's the people who need to be reached and here's this, you know, over here you're going to meet opposition and this is what it, like every day you need to do these certain things so that you don't stumble and fall. And that's not what Jesus does in this passage. Instead, he addresses their fears. He addresses their needs. Um, he sees their frailty and he tells them, I want you more than anything to abide in me. That this is the key. That this is the absolute key. What it looks like for you to grow in this world is simply this. It's not, it's not that complex, and yet it's incredibly hard to abide in me. These men are not that smart. We know that because we have some of their words recorded from it. They're not the, they're not the most well-educated. They're not the bravest. They're not the toughest. They're not the most strategic. And yet Jesus chooses them, and he says, if you are connected to me, I'm going to send you into the world to spread my good news, to spread my gospel. And that's exactly what Jesus does. And in this room, he's telling them, What you need to know, first and foremost, is that you can't do anything without me. You cannot do this. He almost says it in different ways over and over and over again. You can't do anything without me. And I want to look at what this means for us this morning, what it means for us who are are frustrated, um, who would like to, to grow and and I want to look at how Jesus addresses this, because I think that we all have our, our own ideas about how to approach this. Um, we all have our own systems, or we have our own um, programs, or our own methods. But what does Jesus say when he gets his disciples alone in a room, and he talks to them about what it means for them to bear fruit? What does he say to them? And so this morning, I want to look at, I'm going to look at three things. I'm going to be, like, I'm going to be the most cliche pastor, preacher, that you've ever heard this morning. Three points, alliteration, all right? So I try not to do it very often, but every once in a while it hits me, and maybe you'll remember it. So the point, the problem, and the path. The point, and we'll end with like a, a poem, you know? No, the point, the, point, the problem, and, and the path, all right? Um, so what, what is the point in this section? That Jesus is getting at. This is not complicated, and I'm not going to make it more complicated than it is, because I think Jesus is actually bringing in um, a metaphor that these guys can grab a hold of and that can sustain them as they, as he departs, as Jesus dies and rises again and ascends into heaven, and they're left to go out into the world. Jesus gives them this metaphor that he wants them to really grasp onto that he is the vine and they are the branches. And this metaphor is, I mean, you can go back and read through the Old Testament and this type of imagery is all over the Old Testament. I mean, if you go and read through the prophets, what you'll find is that the prophets use this sort of imagery all the time when they're talking about Israel and they're talking about vines and branches and fruit and, and limbs being cut off and all these kind of things. So Jesus is picking up 
on language that they would have already been familiar with. But I think more than that, Jesus is just taking something that's really common to them, and he's using it as an example. So these men may have that very evening walked past a vineyard on their way to this room to meet with Jesus. It was just in their, it was, it was before their eyes all the time. It was something that they understood. It was something that was a part, so much a part of their culture. And I love that Jesus, he does it, he just takes something simple to explain it to us. And most of us here this morning, we probably don't work, I mean, we work in our yards, but we don't work like with vines very often, but we get the metaphor as well. It's not that complex for us either. The vine carries lifeblood. That's it. The vine carries nutrients. The vine is life itself. The vine, if the vine is healthy and the vine is, is, is pushing life and nutrients through it, then the branches that are connected to the vine are going to grow and the branches that are connected to the vine are going to produce fruit. That nothing can grow. This is all Jesus is saying. Nothing can grow. He's like, are you, can you follow me? Nothing can grow, a branch can't grow if it's not connected to the vine. In other words, a a branch doesn't come to a vine and sort of put in an application to be a part of that vine because it already bears fruit. A branch doesn't sort of muster up the ability to bear fruit on its own and then go find the vine and say, I'm a very good fruit-bearing branch Would you please accept me to be a part of this vine? It's not how it works. Jesus is simply saying that no branch can bear fruit apart from me. It's that simple. I told you guys this probably before. Um, I think as November is rolling back around, my mind goes back to this, is that one one of the few, like, family traditions that we have is every... Friday after Thanksgiving, um, we wake up and go to Walmart and uh, stand at, no, I'm just kidding, we don't do that. Um, if you do that, I'm not judging you. Uh, but we go and get our Christmas tree, and I'm always ready. This is one of my favorite days of the year. And so we go to the, probably for the last eight or nine years, we go to the same place. We, we cut down our tree. We kind of do the same things that day, and we bring our tree home like, thousands and thousands of people do, not just across America, but all over the world. And we take this thing that was once rooted in the ground that we've cut off and we put it like in a little dish of water. And then, I mean, think about how weird this is. And then we take lights on a string and we put lights on it. And then we take trinkets and and ornaments and mementos like the like the pipe cleaner star that your kid made in preschool and like lots of ornaments with like handprints on them and we put them all over this tree and then we turn out the light and we plug in the tree and it's and everyone's like ah and the tree at that point what we think it looks better than it did before because it's got all this stuff on it and it looks beautiful and it's all lit up it's even plugged into the wall but the problem is the tree is cut off from its source of life and that little dish of water is only going to sustain it for so long right and eventually the tree is going to wither 
and you're going to have needles all over your floor. And that tree is going to die because it has to be connected to sustenance. And Jesus, Jesus knows us so well, he knows that we can't stand to admit, and he's talking to his disciples who think the same way, we cannot stand to admit that we are weak and we are frail and we are tired because what we want is we want to say, look, I can bear fruit on my own. Just give me a little time. And, and, I'll, and I'll show you that I am trustworthy and I'm faithful. And if I get on the right program, I can maybe even like develop a little bit of self-control and self-discipline. And I will bear fruit. I want to be able to bear fruit on my own. And Jesus is just driving it into their heads. You can't bear fruit on your own. You have to be connected to the vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know who got this is is Paul. Paul, if you go and read his epistles all throughout them, what he talks about, it's just just kind of thrown everywhere in his epistles. I used to be somebody who thought I was bearing fruit because I looked on the outside like I was really important and I did a lot of great things. And And then I met Jesus and I realized... I had never borne any fruit in my life. And now he says, Paul says over and over again, the only thing I have to boast about is Jesus. We just sang it, alleluia, all I have is Christ, alleluia, Jesus is my life. This is what Paul says over and over and over again, because you see religion and and some forms uh, of Christianity say to you, produce some fruit and then you'll be, admitted into our family, um, produce some fruit, and then maybe Jesus will accept you. And you'll seem worthy enough. But Jesus says, I came to, to take dead people and bring them back to life. That's very different. I came, to, I came to take people who knew that they cannot produce any fruit on their own and to attach them to me and allow them, Jesus says, come unto me all you who are or weary and heavy laden, and I'm going to give you rest. Come and rest in me. This is the key. And what's going to come out of that is that you're going to begin to change. You're going to begin to grow. You're going to begin to produce fruit. And we're kind of like, yeah, but what do I need to do? Because I think I, I, think I can do some things. So just tell me what to do, and I'll do them. And Jesus keeps saying to his disciples, just shut up and listen to me and rest in me. And abide in me. So what is all this talk then, right, right at the very beginning about pruning? He takes this illustration a step further and he says those who are connected to the vine and who are bearing fruit actually get pruned so that they begin to bear even more fruit. And, you know, basically we all know what this means is that when a... Try to think of a, I shouldn't think of illustrations on the fly. Okay, I won't do that. Uh, I mean, you have worked in your yard, though, and you think about when you cut something back, that you know that you're supposed to cut this hedge back or you're supposed to cut a rose bush back, but when you're doing it, what it feels like and what it looks like is you just butchered and killed this thing. And, I mean, you're like, I don't know if this plant is going to survive, but I Googled and this is what it told me to do, right? And, 
what you find is that when the next season rolls around, that that pruned rosebush has drawn more deeply upon the sustenance and the nutrients and the life that it needs, that it begins to actually become more prolific and it produces more flowers or it produces more fruit. Because what happens if you don't prune back certain bushes, certain plants, the branch gets far enough, far enough away and it, it just develops a mind of its own. It kind of thinks, I'm doing okay out here. But it becomes actually less fruitful. And so it's pruned back so that it draws more heavily upon the vine. And, you know, we talk about this a good bit, but suffice it to say, if you're going to bear fruit and you're going to abide in Jesus, what Jesus is saying is that the vine dresser is going to prune your life so that you draw more heavily upon the vine. What does that mean? That means the vine dresser, who is our Father in heaven, who loves you and knows you better than you know yourself and knows what you need better than you do, is going to prune your life so that what you begin to say is the same thing that Paul says, I don't have anything else to boast in except for Jesus. And for some of us, that means that he takes things out of our life. For some of us, it it means that maybe we're in that place now where it looks like we look like that shrub in the yard, you know, or we feel like that at least, that just got pruned back all the way. And we're thinking, I don't know that I'm going to survive this. And what the vine dresser is doing is saying, this is exactly what your loving father is doing to you so that you might draw more deeply upon Jesus so that you might bear fruit. And we don't like that. That there's no one in this room who thinks, please bring that on, prune me. But once we've tasted it a little bit, once we've sometimes, sometimes God takes something out of our life or he puts something into our life that hurts tremendously and what we find on the other side of that, that Jesus is more beautiful and more precious to us and what we start to see is that there is actually more joy and more love and more gentleness and more patience and more faithfulness and more self-control and we're thinking, where did this come from? And the Bible says over and over again, it came through suffering. That Jesus suffered in order to produce tremendous fruit. And he's saying that this is going to be a part of your life as well. Listen to how C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. And God comes in to rebuild that house. And at first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and he's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that these jobs needed doing, and so you're not that surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts and doesn't seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one that you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting up an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. What's the point? The point is you can do nothing. It's sort of bad news, but it's actually good news. You can do nothing on your own. The point is if you abide in me, if if you're connected to Jesus, then you will bear fruit 
And he will prune you so that you bear fruit in a way that you need to bear fruit because the vine dresser knows better than we do. What's the problem then? The problem, you maybe noticed it, is one of these verses, um, maybe a few, actually in a few points it kind of alludes to this, but this verse in particular says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into a fire and burned. And you're like, ouch? Like, what does that mean? If, if somebody doesn't abide in me, then they're cut off and, and they wither and they're, and they're thrown into a fire and they're burned. And, you know, maybe as, I was, as Lisa was reading this, that that was the only thing that you could think about. Because maybe you were thinking, doesn't that sound like it goes against everything else we know in the New Testament. Does that, is what Jesus is saying is that, listen, you better bear fruit. And if you don't bear fruit, I'm going to cut you off. Is that what he's saying? Um, Is he saying we can lose our salvation? You know, one of the first things when we come to a verse or a passage that we find in scripture that's hard or that we don't maybe quite understand at first is, is one of the first rules of interpreting Scripture is that we let Scripture interpret Scripture. And what that means is that we go to the places that are very clear and we let those passages help us understand places that are less clear. And so let's not even go outside of John's Gospel for just a minute and let's think about what Jesus has already said just a few chapters earlier, that he is the good shepherd. And that he knows his sheep and his sheep know him and no one can snatch them out of his hand. Or you go back to chapter 6 and Jesus says, Whoever comes to me, I will in no way cast out. So what, is the, what does he mean then? Is this, is, is this being contradictory? Think about the context here. Jesus is always talking to people in, especially in his context and especially in his culture. We have some parallels to our own, but they're not as explicit as they would have been for him. He's talking to people who really felt like much of their standing with God and their connection with God came through their bloodline. So that you hear, the, you hear throughout John's gospel the assertion that we're children of Abraham. You're talking to us, we're children of Abraham. And what they're saying is that our, we can trace our bloodline all the way back to Father Abraham. So that we are now, and you're going to challenge us, we're connected to Abraham. That means we are the children of God. And so what Jesus is saying in this passage is he's taking that, um, not, this isn't for the first time, but like he's taking this and he's flipping it on its head. And what he's showing and teaching his disciples is that you're getting ready to go out into the world and you're preaching the gospel to every tribe and every tongue and every nation, every color, every gender. Like you're, te- you're preaching the good news and this is what the church is going, the kingdom and the church is going to look like is that it's not going to be this one ethnicity like some of these people are thinking. So that those who are the true children of Abraham, and the New Testament goes on to affirm this, are those who are connected to what? Jesus. And nothing else. 
So that it doesn't matter how you grew up, it doesn't matter um, what you look like, what color you are, what your background's like. The children of Abraham now are those who are in Christ, is what the New Testament says over and over again. And so Jesus is making this very pointed assertion that if you're trusting in your bloodline or simply your connection, your physical connection to Abraham, and you reject me, you're not part of this anymore. You're not going to grow. You're standing, if that's what you're trusting for, you're standing before God, it's, it's, it's not going to hold up is what Jesus is saying. And so you go, well, what does that have to do with us then? I don't, think, I don't think there's many in here that are trusting in their connection, their physical connection to Abraham for their standing before God. We're not trusting in our bloodlines in that way. But I think one of the easiest things for us to do is to equate maybe our morality or our religious observance with actual fruit. So we might start getting some things in line in our life. We start doing some things right. We sort of um, clean ourselves up a little bit. We start attending church a little more regularly, and we kind of feel like this is the thing that, I, that, that I'm trusting in. It wasn't long ago, I mean, we could go on like this for a long time. It wasn't long ago I was talking to somebody whose sin had been really seriously exposed in a way that was difficult for them, and their reaction to it is they said, you know, I'm not that bad. I've been, I've, this was somebody in their late 40s, I've, I've been going to church my entire life. And if we assert, if we, the more we proclaim our own goodness, that we're saying that is what fruit is. That's not what fruit is. Fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. Now, your attendance at church and your study of Scripture and your understanding of theology are things that feed, that Jesus uses to feed that so that fruit is produced. But those things in and of themselves are not the fruit. And so we can have people who are like, I know more about the Bible than anybody else. Great. Where's the fruit? Um, I've been to the finest institutions and studied theology. I'm a pastor. Whatever. Jesus is saying, if you rely, abide in me. Me. So that nobody has any room to boast anymore. That the only fruit that is ever produced is fruit that Jesus produces. That is it. Period. So what's the path to that? Let me end with this. You know, what, what, is, what does Jesus tell us to do in this passage so that we might grow? That's what we, we kind of want to know. Okay, I do want to grow. And my next thought is sort of like a product of my culture is to go, okay, let me get this, let me get this in practice. So that it's one more thing that I do and one more thing that I control. And Jesus is saying, abide and we, and, but we have to ask the question, how do I abide? And this could be a whole other series, all right? But I'm going to make it like two minutes, all right? It, it's, how do I abide? How do I rest in Jesus so that I actually grow? How do, be, how do I become somebody who is conformed to his image and is somebody that the church and the world um, actually needs 
instead of somebody who is just always running off their mouth at all the things that they don't like, how do I become somebody who loves like Jesus loves? I'm going to give you three quick, simple things from this passage. And the first one, to abide, is to trust. To abide is to trust. And that is Christianity 101. And we're never going to stop coming back to that because what we think when we look at our lives is we think you don't necessarily know what you're doing because my life is a wreck. Let me get it back in order. And Jesus is always saying to us, you have to trust me like a child. You have to become like a child. You see this child? This is what you have to be like in order to enter the kingdom. I love how John Newton puts it. He says to be humble and like a little child afraid of taking a step alone and so conscious of snares and dangers around us as to cry to him continually to hold us up that we may be safe is the sure, the infallible, the only secret of walking closely with him. To be one who's like a child who says, my next step in life I have to cry out to you continually because what I know is that if I trust in myself, my ability to mess things up is enormous. And I need you at every moment and I need you at every hour and I need you at every step along the way. How do we abide? We trust him. And how do we trust him? We cry out to him continually, which means we have to be humble, right? That we have to realize how frail we are. But secondly, To abide is to obey. Listen to what Jesus says again. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments. See, everything Jesus asks us to do, he's already done. And he says, as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, when we're convinced of Jesus' love, when we look at Jesus and we see Jesus humbled himself and became a servant, a servant who went all the way to the point of death for me, to, to obey him is not to say, I guess I need like, to do what Jesus commands me to do, even though he's robbing me of joy, because I would be able to do these other things. No, to obey him is to go, this is the only place where joy is found. That we trust him, and if you trust him, then the next step, you know, some of y'all learned that song. I kind of hate that song. But you learned that song when you're growing up, trust and obey. There's no other way. But it's true. That we humble ourselves and we trust him and then we obey him. Because we know that... Um, when we, we know that what Jesus has for us is better than what we have for ourselves. And that is something that has to be driven into our heads over and over and over again. But thirdly and lastly is this. The path to abiding is to love. It's to love. I mean, listen to what Jesus does. and I mean, if you go back and read verses 12 through 17, that's not a separate section from 1 through 11 that Jesus is in this upper room, tells his disciples back in chapter 13, this new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And he brings it back up again and again and again so that when he says to them, 
I want you to rest in me and I want you to abide in me, that he gets to this point that he says part of the, purpose, part of the way that you do that is that you actually love one another. That to rest in Jesus, one of the ways, one of the surest ways that we begin to rest in Jesus is that we begin to actually not think about ourselves in a way that's more important than our neighbor. That we are not, that that one of the surest ways we're resting in Jesus is that we look at a world that is broken and a world that is hurting and peoples that are pushed to the side and those who are uh, caught in, in cycles of addiction and poverty, and we, and we say, what's wrong with the world is not necessarily out there. It starts right here. It starts with me. And if Jesus can love me, and if Jesus can, can come close to me, and if Jesus can call me a child, one of my first reactions is that I say, who can I begin to love? How do I express the same love that Jesus expressed to me? And what Jesus is doing here, I think, is, is I, I don't want to say clever because that's trite. But Jesus is saying, as you love, you abide. As you don't put yourself first, but you actually sacrifice, you actually lay down your life. He said, this is actually a path to joy. And you actually abide in my love and you rest in my love. So the point is that you can do nothing apart from Jesus. The problem is that we think we can The path is to abide in him, to trust that he loves you, to see that obedience leads to peace, and to love one another. Why? So that his joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let me pray. Father, there's no one in here who does not want joy, but all of us in here think that there are better paths, more manageable ways to find joy than abiding in Jesus. Father, I pray that you would help us to see that that is a lie. I pray that if, if need be, you prune us so that we might draw more deeply upon the vine. I pray that, this, that you would help us to trust you, to obey you, and to love one another, to love our neighbor, even as ourselves. Father, as we do that, I pray that you would help us to find more peace and more joy than we had ever known was possible. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.